another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi you folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast One man's view of the changing world and the changing times And the things that we can all do to live a better life If times get tough Or even if they don't dictate it a little bit differently today from my home office directly to a PC via Vidacity, so you're going to have better audio quality today than my general gorilla podcasting when I'm traveling down the highway 70, 80 miles an hour in my Jetta. So since we're home today, you know what that usually means, and it means the same thing today. We're going to actually be doing a listener calls show. Uh, these shows usually go pretty well. I get to cover a variety of topics. You get to hear from the audience. That's always cool. I have about nine uh, calls ready to go, queued up. We'll probably end up doing about six of them. And uh, I'll just kind of go through them and uh, pick the ones that come up as they come up. There's quite a few actually still in queue, folks. Please keep calling in just because I don't get... I mean, I'm going to bring one call on today. It's about three weeks old with an issue that was really hot three weeks ago that I never knew about, and it seems to be a dead issue. But I'm going to talk about it anyway today. I will use your call sooner or later if you call in, and if it's an on-air type call, it's not just, hey, Jack, how you doing? All right, so uh, before I do that, let's get with the house cleaning. Since I'm at home sitting in front of my computer, I can tell you this is episode 169, and I am absolutely sure about that because I'm looking at episode 168 from yesterday on my screen as I go through my house cleaning. House cleaning, I want to make sure that I keep reminding everybody about Region 5's get-together down around Goldthwaite, Texas, over Memorial Day weekend. This is just a bunch of good old boys and gals from the Forum getting together, hanging out, doing a little camping out, pseudo-bugging out, eating some barbecue and having some fun. Come one, come all. If you want to drive from Alaska, you're welcome to come down to Goldthwaite, Texas. From Alaska, it's up to you. Um, just make sure you understand that you are welcome no matter where you are from. It just happens to be Region 5's get-together because it's in Region 5. There will be a link to the forum thread with information on today's show notes. Uh, again, I want to remind everybody the Member Support Brigade is open for business for all that want to support the show. If you feel the show is worth more than 25 cents an episode to you, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. We had a little bug kicking its uh, its uh, little bug legs up, I guess, so to speak, uh, with Member Support Brigade. We're having a few people that are noticing they can't log in, and when I go to look them up, I'm not finding them in the database. I contacted the software manufacturer the forums built on. They said this is a known bug. That I guess they don't tell you about unless you have it. It is not a big deal. I can easily restore your account. Just please, when you email me, if you can't get in at any time, make sure you tell me the email address that you use for payment with PayPal. If you're paying by cash, check, or money order, just let me know uh, roughly the date you joined, and I'll have no problem looking up your form and restoring your account. Just want to let you know that's going on, and they are, of course, working on a fix. Uh, Dirt Time 2009, big... Uh, in the woods get together out in San Bernardino, California from the people that provide and build, bring you Wilderness Way magazine. Uh, there was, I think, about 12 speakers out there. It's a week-long workshop. You'll learn everything from survival gardening techniques and permaculture techniques, including wilderness permaculture techniques by myself, uh, to the art of bow making, uh, the primitive fire making, and many other primitive wilderness skills uh, will be out there. There will be notes, uh, a link on the show notes. There's a Lights Out audio preview on the show notes today as well. And uh, that wraps up the house cleaning. So let's go ahead and take our first call. 
Hey Jack, this is Tim in Rhode Island, also known as uh, Dirt Rider 30-06 on the forum. Quick question for you. Uh, you mentioned you had a pool, and if the time ever comes, uh, you're looking at using that, well, you had an above-ground pool, and if the time comes that you're looking at using that for your water supply. Uh, at the point when the grid goes down, uh, no more power to run your filter, what are you looking at doing to keep the water as potable as possible? Uh, be interested to get your view on that. Uh, I also have a 21-foot above-ground pool. It's about 10,000 gallons when it's full. And uh, just looking for ideas on what to do when the time comes. Thanks. Well, Tim, that's a, a great question. And it's actually whenever I talk about the fact that you can use a pool for storing water. I get variations of that question all the time. Uh, I think what you have to do, first of all, when you think about using water from your pool, is understand that it's never really drinkable uh, directly from the pool into your mouth, so to speak. So any use of it for consumption needs to go through a purification process, and the best way to go about that is through uh, bringing it to a good rolling boil, and once that's done, anything in there that could kill you is gone. Now, it may not taste the best in the world, but at least you could drink it if you had to. Uh, we actually have quite a bit of alternative water stored for drinking. Um, I don't plan on relying on my pool for water that I'm going to drink unless things get really, really bad for a, a fairly long time. The main function of the water that's reserved in my pool would be as follows. It would, one, be used for bathing. It would, two, be used for irrigation. Uh, it would, three, be used for things like cleaning pots and pans and things like that. All the things that you need water for. And if it got down to it, it would also be for cooking because obviously you're cooking with it, you're purifying it. So that takes care of any uh, living organisms in the water that might cause us grief. Now, the other problem with the filter being off, though, is what about the water becoming green and scummy and nasty and just a cesspool? Well, it's a great idea to have a cover for your pool, and if we got into that situation, one of the first steps we would take when we realized we were talking more than a couple hours with the power out would be to cover the pool if we indeed even decided that we were staying here. I think, first of all, for me, if I ended up in a really long-term bad situation, Odds are we would be bugging out to the bug out location anyway, and frogs could live in the pool. But if we were staying here, uh, that would be the approach we would take is we would cover the pool. The other thing is we keep a very large amount of shock treatment, chlorine shock treatment on hand, and we would be able to go quite a few months, even with no pump, just continuously adding uh, chlorination to the pool. Um, maybe removing the cover at night when there's no sun to uh, to encourage any kind of bacterial or algal growth, uh, allowing the wind to agitate the water in the evenings and uh, make sure that we got a good distribution of the chlorine. There would always also be the option of somebody just jumping in the water once the chlorine was thrown in, running in a circle and getting out really quick. Uh, it's probably not a good idea, but if we came down to it, I guess we could. We could stir it up a little bit with, you get my point, one way or another, we could still chemically treat the pool uh, for, for algal growth and bacterial growth with chlorine and anti-algae uh, treatment, which, again, we keep a large supply on hand. So keeping a pool in usable condition, uh, as long as you understand that water is not water, you go dip a glass in and just have a drink of it, 
even without electricity, is not the most difficult thing in the world. We would also probably have to get into the habit of removing that cover whenever it looked like it was going to rain. Um, and we might actually take some steps to start channeling once the pool was maybe down to half of its capacity, any kind of rainwater that hit the roof. Uh, maybe we would rig something up to run ra- uh, run off rainwater from the roof down into the pool. Uh, my pool holds about 20,000 gallons of water. That's enough to go a year on, really. Uh, the other reason for, obviously, the cover is not just because it would prevent... Um, uh, the encouragement of any kind of growth in the pool, it also would reduce evaporation when we're trying to keep the water uh, confined. So it's actually a very good method of having a reserve water supply as long as you understand its limitations. And it's a good excuse to have a pool, and frankly, we do enjoy the pool in the summertime. That said, um, having a pool is a lot of work. If you've never owned one, if you've never maintained one, and the bigger the pool, the more work it is, the more chemicals you have to add, the more things that can go wrong, and it's an expense. When we permanently moved to Arkansas, I actually have no plans uh, to put a pool in up there. I may put a little hot tub out on the deck uh, for relaxing in, but I probably will never own a pool again. I appreciate it for what it is. I also... I don't like it for what it what also it is as far as a lot of work. So do consider that before you make the investment in a pool. And let's go ahead and take another question. Hey, Jack, this is Heavy G. I have a question for you about gas prices. Uh, that came down recently, and that was great news. Um, are they going to go back up? And do you see any uh, fuel supply problems that might be coming up? Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for the question, Heavy G. Your questions are great as always, and hence there'll be actually more than one Heavy G question on today's show. Um, The gas issue is one I actually call wrong. It was one of my few uh, far-reaching future predictions that didn't come true. I said uh, back in the summertime, when gas was like four bucks, almost five bucks in some areas of the country, that it would never go under two dollars again forever. And then it turned around, and it did. And I have a real problem with the fact that that occurred, not because I was wrong. Trust me, folks, um, I measure what I predict on the show because I know it can come back and bite me. Uh, So I generally only predict things that I'm very confident in. I'm also uh, tending at times to make predictions that I'm a little less confident about going on record with, and many of those are wrong. So I don't have a problem with being wrong. I have a problem with being wrong when it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Here's what I mean by that. Let's look at why oil came down in the first place to a point where gas went down, and it got pretty cheap. Some parts of the country saw gas go down a buck forty. A few places you got it down into around a buck thirty at times. Why did this occur according to the experts? According to the experts, one, there was a little bit of a crackdown on speculators who, who, who bailed out and stopped doing what they were doing. Let's give them credit for driving oil prices from 110 to 140. Uh, let's take that 30 bucks. So we still had oil sitting at a basis of 110 dollars. Then the economy of the world went into economic recession, and that drove down usage by a massive amount. People stopped driving. Uh, businesses stopped expanding. When businesses lay people off, people are not driving to work, etc. Agnosium. Let's give that credit for cutting the price 40 bucks, which I think is more credit than it deserves, but let's do that. So now we should be sitting on oil trading somewhere in the $70 range, which, by the way, is kind of where the Russians, $70, $75 
put their basis value when they based how they built their economy off of their oil reserves. Once it goes below that number, the Russians are losing money. And now we're supposed to believe it tumbled another $35 a barrel all on the economy. And if we look at things today and we say, what's our reserves, our gasoline reserves, we find we have higher inventories than we've ever had before. So, what the hell's going on? I wish I could tell you, I really don't know. Now, will gas go back up? Of course it will. Everything eventually goes back up. Do I see fuel shortages on the horizon? I don't. Not unless we have some kind of big major thing that changes what's going on out there. You know what I mean? One of the big shit hit the fan scenarios. Obviously, gas would go in short supply if any of them occurred. Here's what I think has happened. I think that Russia has been seen as a threat by many nations, not just the United States, including some of the Arabic nations that Russia seems to be friendly with, and I think they've increased production beyond a level that's necessary right now to hurt the Russians. And the reason I believe that, I know that sounds a little tinfoil hat, but not a lot of other things make sense with that right now. Uh, It just doesn't. Now, here's the interesting thing. The number I called as a bottom was 2 bucks. That we'll never see gas under $2 a gallon again because the psychology of the consumer has allowed for it. The reason that failed to be true is the oil price dropped so rapidly, so rapidly, that it blew the floor out of the market and suppressed the gasoline price so quickly. The retailers, I don't think the big you know, off corporate offices that have been running these same formulas for years where they price their gas didn't have time to adjust. They didn't see it coming. Because what you see now is gas trending right back to that $2 mark. I think uh, regular unleaded is selling for buck uh, ninety something a gallon, and in Texas it's usually cheaper. So it's probably over 2 bucks in most of the country already. But oil prices really haven't gone back up at all. There's no reason for gasoline prices to go up right now uh, with oil still down as low as it's really been in a long time and inventories of gasoline higher than they've been in a long time. What does that tell you? It tells you the retailers have figured out we're just going to keep putting the price up until people complain. And since people are driving less, they have a higher tolerance. And they'll probably get up into about the 220 range when people start to bitch, and then they'll go back to a formula. And then that's the danger, because when the gas goes up again for real, they'll have a new base level that they're starting at, a 220 a gallon base level. So we'll see gas go higher than it's ever gone before. Now what's going to cause it? Economic recovery around the world. That's when your gas prices will go back up. And it ain't going to happen until that occurs. And when everybody's singing the praises of the economic recovery, nobody will pay attention to the gas prices until they climb about a dollar and a half, and then people will start complaining and the cycle will begin again. But I don't think you need to stockpile gas other than if you can do it long term, it's pretty cheap and I don't see it going much lower. Um, But I don't see a fuel shortage unless, again, you know. We have, uh, you know, some kind of major uh, terrorist activity or, or some kind of major shit at the fan scenario. Otherwise, you're just watching the market work uh, the way it's designed to work with some manipulation added in. Hey, Jack, this is uh, supporting Survival Podcast member Halo Blue from the forums. Uh, first, I want to tell you that I, I just absolutely love the show and really appreciate what you're doing. I've learned a ton, especially in the gardening arena. 
I wanted to bring to your attention uh, the thing that we all heard on Friday, and it's it's gotten some coverage online, but not a lot, which is the uh, the Milsert brass being destroyed and no longer sold to um, man- ammunition manufacturers. I think that this is a really big deal, and uh, I think it needs to be mentioned more. And if maybe you could throw a word into the podcast and maybe get some more people talking about it. I had posted a thread in the uh, firearms new rules, regulations, and legislation uh, thing on the forum. And if anybody can come and take a look at it there, there's a good article from... uh, I believe shooting wire there, and uh, the text of the article is in there as well as a link to it. But I uh, want to get people talking about this a little bit more. One of the things that you can do, and I'll cut it short after this, is contact Max Bacchus, his center in Montana, because he serves on the committee that I believe controls the uh, budget that this thing might fall under. So that might be a good one, and all that information is in the in the post on the forum. Thanks again, Jack, for everything you do. Take care. Okay, uh, great question, and as much as I stay on top of things, this is the one I missed. Uh, I guess there's only, only so many things you can stay on top of in a given day. Here's what's happened since that originally incurred, uh, occurred. I looked this up, and it appears that a lot of people didn't even believe it when it came out. It didn't seem to make sense. People were calling it an urban legend. It was absolutely the case that this legislation was pending, and it looked like it was going to pass. And then something happened, and this is, you know, this is a good lesson, and it's part of why um, I'm including this question today. I keep telling you, I keep telling you that we cannot, for the love of God, continue to see ourselves as conservatives and liberals and Democrats and Republicans. We have to start seeing our elected officials, and do they follow or do they not follow the Constitution, and judging them accordingly. And we have to start being completely independent of any of these labels. And why am I saying this? Because two Democratic senators from Montana intervened in this legislation and shut it down, and it's been removed. So it was in play, and it was taken out of play, and it was taken out of play not by our crusading Republican conservatives, but by two Democratic senators. That's what I keep saying. There's a big difference between a Democrat from Montana and a Democrat from Rhode Island. In fact, there's a big difference between a Democrat from Montana and a Republican from Rhode Island, and I'm more likely to trust the Montana Democrat. Um, So, you know, please keep that in consideration. Now, here's the other side of this. Once again, we're seeing what the government would like to do. They would like to get in our face in anything that has to do with gun ownership and ammunition. i got another question on ammunition we're going to take next. We have got to really keep an eye on this, and I'm glad you guys caught this one because, again, I missed it, and I've been following all these other gun legislation issues. It, it makes absolutely no sense that the government would say, we're going to take fired military surplus plus brass, which is worth money to the government while we're strapped for cash, and destroy it so that it has no value, spend money on destroying it, and then sell it for scrap versus sell it to the civilian market where it can be used for reloading and remanufactured ammunition. It just doesn't make any sense. But yeah, they tried to do it anyway, and they almost got it done, and they almost slipped it through. So please continue to pay attention. Now, what's my advice to prepare for things like this in the future? I think it's time to start stockpiling brass, primers, powder, and bullets, not just ammunition. Because you can stockpile a hell of a lot more that way. Because it's a more efficient way to, to, to store the, the, uh, the powder. Your cases have a long case life, especially if you do not load maximum loads. 
you know, start putting together groups of casing that you use for practice ammunition. Load light end loads with those that'll extend your case life and take up reloading. I think it's a great thing to be doing right now, and I think it's a great way to create a loophole in the system. I'm not going to go any further than that right now because I'm going to take another question on ammunition that's going to have me expanding on reloaded ammunition and some of the things that are going on out there. Hi, Jack. This is Noblesse in uh, the Four Corners area. One of the local sheep ranchers here said they'd been to a safari uh, club meeting and heard that the government was going to start confiscating any ammunition that didn't have barcodes on it, which would uh, wipe out all of the reloaders. Just wanted your thoughts on that if you'd heard anything. Thank you. Love your show. Bye. Okay, well, there's a good question, and it also points out, again, we have got to rein in anything that's sensationalized as soon as it occurs. The way that question was asked, it leads me to believe that this lady uh, was told this in a way that made it sound as though this had already occurred, that this is a done deal, the government is now coming to confiscate all your ammunition uh, that's not barcoded, and to put all the reloaded, uh, you know, remanufactured ammunition uh, makers out of business. It's done, and it's happened. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, now, the truth may be a little bit more scary than the reality. The only thing that I can think that this is really about is not really barcoding the ammunition from a standpoint of putting a barcode on the box of ammunition, since that's already done. And if the government right now wanted to institute a tracking system that would track where boxes of ammunition went to, who bought them, they could do it overnight because every item sold in a store today has a barcode on it, at least new ammunition or anything sold at retail through any of the major chains, so that could already be done. What they're actually talking about here is far more sinister, in my opinion, which is marking the bullet. Not the case, the bullet. There's a company that has developed a technology that allows them to mark the base of the bullet. Now, no one said how this would work out with lead ammunition. And what I mean by lead is a solid lead slug. I don't think it would work. I think the, the markings would be blurred out. So this would only seem to work with jacketed ammo. Maybe the idiots that are trying to push this technology haven't thought about that. Or maybe they're thinking it doesn't matter because very few people cr commit crimes with lead bullets. Of course, if you put something like this in place, maybe they would. Um, but what we need to understand is what's really driving this. Most of you guys have probably heard about this ammunition coding uh, proposed legislation. Right now, as far as I can tell, any proposed federal legislation is off the table. It's gone. It's not there. It's over. There are states considering this the state level. I do not know which states. I see numbers of 14, 19, 25, you name it. There's different numbers out there of states that are supposedly right now considering this legislation. This is not, I repeat, it is not primarily driven by a government looking to do anything right now. The real thing that's going on here is a group of people put a company together and developed this technology. They developed a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. They're now trying to create the illusion of a problem that this would solve. People get shot, and we can't figure out who shot them because we don't know who bought the ammunition. 
Now, your friendly neighborhood drug dealer isn't going to run down to Walmart and buy bullets from Walmart if this type of thing is passed anyway. They will, there will immediately become a black market for ammunition, and that's where the bad guys are going to get their bullets, just like it's right now where they get their guns, for God's sakes. But what's driving this is money. What this company has figured out is that if they can get the government to adopt this as policy, that every major ammunition and components manufacturer will have to comply with it. They will have to use their technology, which is proprietary and patented. And that will make them a buttload of money. The good news for us is they don't have a buttload of money right now. If they did, there would be pending federal legislation because they'd be flying our congressional clowns and fat cat senators around and buying them steak dinners over in Paris right now. They don't have that kind of money, so they've gone to the state legislatures. They've looked for the biggest gun Nazis, gun-hating politicians they can find that would like to make a name for themselves with this legislation, and they've gotten them to propose it at the state level. So what you need to do individually is find out if this legislation is pending in your state, call your state representatives, and tell them in no uncertain terms you will fire their ass if they do this. I don't think this thing is as big as a threat right now as some people are making it out, but it's definitely a danger and it's something we need to stay paying attention to. What these clowns have figured out is if they can win in one state, that they might create a domino theory. In other words, if you had to barcode your ammunition to sell it in California, and you were Hornady, or you were Remington, or you were Winchester, or you were anybody that made ammunition, it would be so expensive to retool that you would not retool and make your tooling set up to sell this ammunition just in California. If you wanted to still sell in California which may be a big market for you, it would just be easier to retool all your equipment, pay the licensing fees, and implement this everywhere. And then they win because they don't care about the law. They don't care about legislation. They care about money. And in all of these situations, folks, I want you to start training your mind to follow the money. Remember, the politician doesn't want your money. He wants control, and he wants to stay in office, and he wants power. The money is a means to an end, so the politician always ends up passing most of the money onto business, and then the business gives them some back in what we call a campaign contribution. So that's what's going on there. Just understand, it hasn't happened yet, and no one's going out and seizing anybody's ammo. All of these bills are slightly different, and whatever the end form would be, if any of them ever passed, and what exemptions, we do not know. Just be prepared to fight this legislation at the state level, wherever it may show up. Hi, Jack. This is Heavy G. What do you think's going on in Mexico? What's your take on that situation, and how does it affect all of us prepping both in the southwest and then farther north and in the rest of the country? Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, I said we'd hear from uh, Heavy G more than once today, and there we go with another question, and another great question. So what's going on with Mexico? There's, there's two things that are going on here that we need to keep our eye on. One is the reality of Mexico and what it could mean to us if it spills over. And two, and maybe more important, is the way our government is framing it for us to use it to take away freedom and liberty. Those are two separate things 
And let's start with the reality in Mexico. This is the reality of Mexico. Americans spend billions of dollars to buy methamphetamine, marijuana, and cocaine, and other drugs that come to us through Mexico. As long as Americans are willing to spend billions of dollars on those drugs, Mexican drug runners who don't have much of an opportunity to earn that kind of money anywhere else or any way else in Mexico will continue to bring those drugs to the United States. Nothing we can do will stop them. They've gone as far as some of them are building, for all intents and purposes, submarines now to get the drugs to the United States. That's no exaggeration. It's not just the border. They're coming in on our seaboards as well. The border has erupted, though, because the drug runners are fighting for control amongst themselves against the Mexican government and on a limited capacity with the American Border Patrol just on our side of the gov- our, our side of the border. Pretty much it's been harassing fire up to this point. It's not been heavy uh, force-on-force engagements, at least none that I'm heard, I've heard of. I'm sure that would be all over Fox News and everybody else if it occurred. What's going on is the Mexican government is actually doing the best they can to take control of this situation, but when a organized crime unit is making billions, they have a lot of resources, they have a lot of power, and they have a lot of lot to lose. So they're fighting back, and they're doing so through kidnapping, in general, of anybody to, 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 to basically use a form of terrorism, to kidnapping, abduction, and or murder of law enforcement officials and or their families. They have killed the chief law enforcement officer in Mexico. His replacement, after numerous threats, resigned. And there is a real danger that in certain parts of Mexico, absolute lawlessness is taking over. We're, we're seeing... And, and again, this is not Cancun. This is not Acapulco. This is not Playa de Carmen. This is border towns and outlying areas outside of Mexico City and areas, it's mostly along the border that this stuff is going on because that's where they're staging their drugs to bring them into the United States. It's real. Our border patrol, the state of Texas and the state of Arizona and the state of California, and to a lesser extent the state of New Mexico, are enacting plans to deal with spillover. Now, unfortunately for us, I don't think they're in touch with the reality that we could have arms spillover. They're more preparing for uh, mass evacuation and refugees. Now, that, of course, would put strains on our services. Um, and once we let them in, if we set up all these refugee camps because there's mass violence in Mexico and they run away from the violence. And again, these are not the same. you got to have some compassion for your fellow man. But you can't have too much compassion. Here's what I mean by that. These are not the same people that are coming here, stealing your identity and your social security number, working, sending all their money back to Mexico, except what they need to survive on and taking away jobs from American people. These are people right now that are living in Mexico that are trying to stay there, that could be pushed out. But you know us and our government and the way we think. Once we let them in, we will never send them back. And we're looking at the number being in the millions if we have enough eruption of violence in Mexico. So those are the things that are affecting us. How do you prepare for it? You do the same things you always done because you do not know what the impact is going to be. There's no way for us to know exactly what the impact of a wave of refugees would be. I would tell you if you live close to the border, you better secure your property. And I, right now, if I were looking for property, I don't care what kind of deal I could get, I would not want to be within probably 50 miles of the Mexican border anywhere. 
I really wouldn't, just because of what could occur, and the fact that these, these scumbags are now making excursions across the border, abducting people on the American side of the border, and taking them back to Mexico, and holding them hostage. That hasn't been happening with Americans that much yet, but it's only a matter of time. These guys are getting bolder and bolder. Side two of this, what is our government doing? Our government and Rahm Emanuel... Who, again, I'll go back to his own quote. You cannot let a good crisis go to waste. Folks, the man said it. The man meant it. He's never recanted it. Never even said he was taken out of context. And his follow-up was, and by that I mean to get something done which you would not have been able to get done before. Now, he and Eric Holder and Barack Obama are big on trying to pass more restrictive gun legislation. I hate to take it here since we talk so much about guns already today, but that's their goal. Now, what they're saying is that it's America's fault because America buys narcotics and because the Mexican drug runners and the Mexican you know, terrorists are coming to the United States, buying our guns and taking them back to Mexico. Fine. That's illegal. Shut it down. No, what they're going to try to do is impose stricter gun legislation using this as an excuse. Watch it. Be ready for it. Be ready to shut it down when it occurs. The other thing I haven't quite figured out yet is exactly how they're going to use this to institute policies to intrude more in the lives of normal Americans. They obviously can't go and do things that are similar to the Patriot Act since they've been so aggressive in saying how bad the Patriot Act is. But look for more things that would allow them to track the movements of law-abiding American citizens who should have a right to privacy to come out of this. So those are two totally different issues, but listen to Rahm Emanuel, listen to Eric Holder, and listen to Barack Obama whenever they talk about the issue. You never hear them saying, what we need to do is get off our asses and send the American military in the form of active duty or National Guard to that damn border and shut this crap down. Shut it down, shut it down hard. All right, We're being invaded. We're having this poison brought into our country because it's worth money. The libertarian in me, and some of you will get real upset, says legalize all these drugs. They go, how the hell would that work? Well, it would immediately destroy the market. There'd be no money in them anymore. And we would we would end the problem, and the people that are going to use the drugs are going to use the drugs anyway. There's a million objections to that. I know that. If I had the authority and the power, would I push the button and do it overnight? No. There'd be a lot of things that would have to go into some kind of program to do that, uh, and maybe it would end up turning it down anyway. I don't know. I'm just saying that's a solution. We also have to look about what did we do that made this problem so bad in the first place. Fifteen years ago, the, the, the drug runners in Mexico existed. They were bringing drugs into our country. They had nowhere near the power that they do today. The two biggest imports from Mexico are methamphetamine and marijuana. Now, if I had the power, I would legalize marijuana tomorrow. I don't see anybody shooting their girlfriend or robbing a bank to feed a marijuana habit. I see people smoke marijuana and they eat Twinkies. That's pretty much the lifestyle of a pot smoker. I'm not a pot smoker, never have been, don't want to, no interest in it, but all I'm saying is the people that smoke pot... They're wasting their life when they do it, but it's their life to waste. And I can make a strong medical case that smoking tobacco cigarettes is worse for your health long-term than smoking marijuana. 
So I would, I definitely would do that. So that would kill that problem immediately, because the pot smoker would grow a plant or two in his backyard, smoke his pot, and leave everybody alone the way he's doing right now, because we haven't made a dent in America's marijuana habit with the war on drugs. It's not even... The, People that possess small amounts, it's not even considered a major crime. Nobody does jail time for it anyway. All we've done is created a black market. Number two, here's how the methamphetamine became a problem. To combat methamphetamine labs that were all over the United States and small town America, everywhere there were meth labs. What we decided to do was wage war on people that uh, have allergies like me and make pseudofedrine almost impossible to obtain in any quantity, and then because of the way that was done, it made pseudofedrine almost impossible to obtain in even small quantities. This put the methamphetamine drug labs out of business, but they already had the connections to the second tier in the distribution system, the large-scale dealer, who then distributed to the small-scale dealer. So they were already that supply to that network. Now, that network didn't just go out of business, and the manufacturers kept working as hard as they can to work with what they could to continue to produce meth. But they realized soon that they were going to be out of a way to do it. So they turned to Mexico. Their first intention was to purchase the pseudofedrine in Mexico and illegally bring it to the United States. And the Mexicans said, hey, gringo, you know what? We'll make your meth. We'll give it to you. You have a distribution network. All's well. That created the Mexican market for methamphetamine. Our action of taking away a commonly available, used by millions safely, medication that's been around for 50 years created this mess in Mexico. Now you say, well Jack, were you for these drug labs in the United States? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. All I'm telling you is we had a problem in the United States that we could deal with in the United States, and our action to stop it, all it did was transplant the issue from our country to another country where we don't have as much direct control and enforcement capability on it. That's what happened. What's the solution? I don't know. I'm just telling you what happened. And I'm telling you... Mexico's an issue, it's a problem, and I think what's going on there is that the nation is being taken over by criminals, and not the white-collar, extortionist, mafia-type criminals that run Washington, D.C., and many of our state governments here in the United States. Honest to God, drug-running criminals are beginning to run that country. And it's only a matter of time before that powder keg explodes. And yes, we do have something to worry about. And mainly it is going to be in the form of mass immigration uh, in the form of refugees. And I don't know exactly what the impact is going to be. It's impossible to tell at this point. Okay, folks, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap the show up on that note. Um, I really do enjoy doing these listener call-in shows. Please call in your questions, comments, suggestions, anything that I can use on the air. I'd like to start uh, doing a show like this maybe once a week. I don't know if I can do that right now. Right now, even if I had the time, I don't have the call volume. So if you guys, uh, if you've been thinking about calling a question in, don't be shy. Go ahead and do it. You don't want to give your actual name and location, give your forum handle, or give, you know, no name at all, or make up a first name. I prefer you make up a first name. makes the call sound better. Uh, but if you want to use an alias, go ahead. Number to call, 866-65-THINK. Again, 866-65-THINK. If you want to write down that number and uh, you maybe use a BlackBerry or something, you don't have the little letters there handy with each number, uh, the actual number is 866 658 
And uh, please, again, keep calling in. Let's try to make this show even better. The more involvement I get from you guys, the better the show is. I'd like to thank everyone out there that takes the time out of their day to listen to this show. i also like to point out, as we conclude, I've had some issues recently with iTunes. It has to do with this web host that I really want to fire. They went and upgraded my blog platform for me to try to help me with the hack we experienced about a week ago. Uh, this is not helpful because the plugin that I use to run the podcast is not compatible with the latest version of the WordPress blog platform. So I'm dealing with that. I'm going to try to make sure that this show gets out on iTunes today. Somehow I managed to get the other one out late in the afternoon on iTunes yesterday. Um, I'll keep working at these technical issues. I'll get through them. I appreciate your understanding as I do that. Once again, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you think these shows are worth a quarter apiece, uh, that covers your membership costs, and you'll get content that's available only to members. Again, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life. Times get tough. You can holler. It really doesn't matter. Cause it all gets spent.